Thanks for coming on a holiday weekend to church on a Sunday morning. So my name is Brent. Um, I actually do the youth here on Sunday mornings. Um, so we teach the class upstairs for teenagers. Um, we had it first service. I couldn't get anybody to cover maybe for second service. So if you're a teenager, you're standing here with me this morning. So it's great. Um, so I let me just take the opportunity before we get started. Um, I just want to thank a lot of you. My wife, a few months ago, was in the hospital for like 17 days um, with a gallbladder and throat surgery and all these different things, and we had wonderful people from here coming to visit, bringing us gifts and things and comfort things. We had a whole group of people bring us dinner for a whole week once we got home, so we felt very blessed and very loved um, by all of you, and so just from my heart, just really appreciate um, you guys and this people in this church. So that was that was wonderful. So I do have an opportunity for for a few of you. Um, next week, July 31st through August 4th, um, I am doing a free soccer camp for kids in downtown Ogden, next to the YCC where I work for these kids in this neighborhood. We do it every year. It's super fun. Um, and so we need volunteers if you play soccer, if you play soccer, we need volunteers to come and help us just play, do fun drills with the kids. Um, we need people to bring like snacks every day just for the kids once a day, um, as well as we are going to be passing out flyers this week for it, kind of door to door to let kids know that it's happening. Um, so if you can volunteer your time, if you've got summer off or whatever and can volunteer your time in any of those ways, come let me know after church and I would love to talk to you about that. It's a super fun event that we do for kids um, in that neighborhood. So, how many of you guys are feeling your age recently? Is anybody feeling their age? A lot of you? Yeah? I feel my age. I'm at the point where my mind tells me I can do one thing, but then my body totally disagrees with that. Um, you know, and so it's like I can't do the things that I used to do. I'm kind of into terms with that. Um, and so, I, I'm a very athletic person, but like, kind of my, my brain has to, has to change as I get older. Um, I also feel like I'm looking my age, like I've got gray hair and all that stuff, and people tell me I have a bald spot back here, but I don't believe them because I've never seen it, so I don't think it exists. Um, things like that, right? And so I try to stay young by hanging out with young people. Uh, every year, I go camping or rock climbing with a bunch of young people, people in their 20s, people that used to be in my youth group, actually, um, and we have, it was super fun. Last weekend, I actually took my 19-year-old daughter and a couple of her 19, 20-year-old friends. We went up to the Uwana Mountains, and we, I took them out on, um, on uh, Mirror Lake, and then we went and had lunch, and then we, I'm like, let's go up to this other lake. It's like a two-mile hike to Wall Lake. And so we went up there. We went on this hike. We cliff jumped in the water. We came back. We went on another lake. It was great. And on the way home, my daughter's like, Dad, when we go to the lake, when we have lake day, we usually just like lay out and relax. And I'm like, I don't lake day like that. And so it was super fun. And when we got home the next day, one of the guys that went with us is texting my daughter. And he's like, how old's your dad? And my daughter's like, how old do you think he is? And, and he's like, I don't know, like 40, 40-something. 40 and he's like, he's 52. He's like, wow, your dad's in really great shape, which is great. Like, I'm, I felt like I was, like, you know, younger than I am. But I didn't tell them that I was super sore the next day. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, you can feel that way, but then your body tells you something totally different. And so today we're going to discover more about not Jesus' age, but Jesus' identity and who he is. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We've been going through the book of Mark here 
Um, the title of today is Jesus is the Spotlight. We're going to put the spotlight on Jesus and about his identity because the book of Mark has been talking about this and leading up to this, but this is kind of a climax of it all. And so if you remember a couple of weeks ago, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people think I am? And they gave him all these different crazy answers. But then he asked his disciples, well, who do you think I am? And for the first time in the book of Mark, Peter actually identified Jesus and said, you're the Messiah. And that was the first time in the book of Mark anybody had ever discovered that or said that. And so we're starting to see how Jesus is explaining his true purpose, that he's the Messiah, which is very different from the way the Jewish people thought the Messiah should be. She talked about this last week, where you see how, like, the Jewish people expected a conqueror, someone to set them free from oppression. But Jesus wasn't there to come and set people physically free. He was there to come and set people spiritually free. And so his disciples and people are starting to realize this. And he even said that he's going to have to suffer, and he's going to have to do all these things, and people are going to despise him. And, and his disciples are kind of rap, grappling with this and even disagreeing with him, if you, saw, if you were here last week. And so Jesus' identity is revealed more than ever before in the events that happened today. And so this message today is very clear. We're talking about how Jesus is not just a prophet, not just one of the many prophets, but that Jesus actually claims to be God. Anybody here read um, C.S. Lewis? Any C.S. Lewis books? You know, C.S. Lewis books are great. He writes all the amazing fantasy stuff, but he also writes very theological, deep stuff. If you ever read the book Mere Christianity, if you haven't, you should. But in the book Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis makes this argument. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. And so he goes on to say this. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so what C.S. Lewis is saying here is he's saying Jesus claimed to be God. So if he claimed to be God and you don't believe that, you just think, oh, he's a good guy. He was a great moral teacher. Well, you can't have both ways. Because sane people don't go around claiming to be God. <laughs> so either Jesus was lying about it, and he was just a big fat liar, or he was crazy. Or, or he was actually who he claimed to be. So we can't build this middle ground, right? We can't just say, oh, he's a great guy, he's a great teacher. Well, he also claimed to be God, so what do you say about that? And so we have to be able to say, well, either he was a liar, he was a lunatic, or we worship him as Lord. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So one of the events that kind of establishes actually C.S. Lewis' point is, is this transformation of Jesus, this transfiguration of Jesus is what the story we're talking about today. And that, that's a big word, transfiguration, but all it just means is to change. We're going to see how Jesus gives a glimpse of his glory here. And so he takes this inner circle 
these three guys up on this mountain. And this is Peter, James, and John. These are the guys that he would usually take kind of extra time with and take them on different adventures with him and do different things with them. We don't know if he was like trying to prepare them for later leadership in the church or, you know, he was giving them some type of new role or, or they were just boneheaded and they needed a little extra time from Jesus. You know, so these are the three guys. These are Peter, James, and John. And so... For whatever reason, he took these three guys on this amazing, like, field trip <laughs> that he's going to take them on. And so I want you to think about this. What is the most life-changing thing that you've ever seen? Like, something that you've seen or experienced that changed your life. Like, think about that. One of the things for me is it's the birth of my children. Like, when my, my kids were born, my wife had a C-section, both of them, um, and so I'm up talking to her, but as they're starting to do the surgery, I'm like, I'm super curious. So I went back and watched the whole thing, you know, cut my wife open, take her intestines. They're not careful, by the way, all over the place. I've seen my wife inside and out, <laughs> and so my son, my wife is like this tall. My son weighed almost 11 pounds, so when they pulled him out, it was like, he was like squash, and then all of a sudden, they like took him up by his leg, he went, and kind of unfolded. You know, you don't unsee stuff like that. <laughs> and so, but I thought it was cool, because it's like, this is the miracle of life, you know? Life-changing, absolutely life-changing to be able to witness something like that, especially when it was my own children. And so, Peter, James, and John are about ready to go on a spiritual journey, and it's going to be spiritually life-changing. So this is what happens. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any other earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. So this is crazy. All of a sudden, Jesus' glory is glowing. His whites become this pure, his clothes become this pure, dazzling white. And then there's these two spiritual giants, like, next to him, having a conversation. How cool would it have been to, like, listen into that? Like, to be able to hear what they were talking about. Who knows? And so here's what you have. You have this picture of this incredible experience, and Peter, James, and John were watching this. And so... This is really a cool experience to be able to think, and there's a lot of incredible meaning to this. And so the appearance of Moses and Elijah actually proved something about Jesus. Jesus' mission was connected to two very, very important Jewish things, Jewish scriptures. And so in the Old Testament, in all the Torah and the Jewish scriptures, you have the law and you have prophets. And so Moses really here is representing the law of God. Actually, the, the, the law, the Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments and all the other laws, it's actually called the law of Moses many times. And so Moses is kind of representing the law. Elijah is really representing the prophets. And so Elijah was one of the main prophets. He was actually a leader of other prophets. And so here you have all of these things happening and these two men representing all of what God has already done. And then you have Jesus. And so what did prophets do? Prophets actually revealed God to all of us. They would take the messages of God, reveal it to the people. And so what you have here is you have Jesus fulfilling this. Because you have Jesus kind of being the final prophet. And even more of that, you have Jesus being the final revelation of who God is. And so this is all happening. And Jesus was doing 
was completely in step with what God's work had been throughout the whole Old Testament. This awful, awesome kind of reminds us of what happened to Moses. And so back in Exodus chapter 33, Moses was kind of doubting. He had led his people out of Egypt. They're in the promised land, but he's kind of just doubting what is going to happen you know, with him. He's doubting his leadership. He's doubting God's promises about the people of Israel. And so he goes up on the top of Mount Sinai, and he has this communication with God. And this is what God says. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. And so God says, Moses, I'm going to reveal my glory to you, but I'm going to hide it a little bit because if I don't, you're probably going to explode. Like, you're going to melt. Like, our earthly bodies aren't able to handle that. But God passes by and says many of his different names and kind of appears and gives Moses a glimpse, just a glimpse of his glory. And so God is giving him this incredible gift, really, to be able to see the glory of his presence. And so Jesus, in the same way, is kind of revealing his godly glory to these two these three disciples. And so Jesus' identity here is he's saying, I am the Messiah and I am the Son of God. And so as we learned, this is really the point of Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel is slowly revealing who Jesus is, people at a time. And so there's multiple people that are kind of grappling with this through the book of Mark. Some people are accepting it. Some people are rejecting it. But the whole book of Mark is kind of this Look who Jesus is, look what he's doing, looking how he's living his life, what are you going to do about it? And so those are questions that we have to grapple with. Those are things that we have to discover. Those are questions that actually lead us to a decision, are we going to agree that Jesus is God or not? And if we do, how's that going to affect our lives? And so what do we do with that, that question? And so that's what we'll talk about today. But if you were there that day, and you saw this happening, what do you think you would do? Like, would you just freak out? Would you panic? Would you be terrified? Would you just be like, this is the coolest thing ever, you know? Like, what, how would you experience this, you know? Think about the last time something crazy happened in your life. So think about the last time something just surprising happened in your life. And think about this, like, have you ever been, ever, anything ever happened to you where you just didn't know what to say? Like, you just didn't know what to do. And have you ever, like, accidentally said something stupid? <laughs> Spit your foot in your mouth or, or said something that was super unhelpful, you know, at a time like that? A few years ago, our dryer caught on fire on a Sunday morning, actually. Um, and I'm a doer. I'm a total doer. Like, I went down, and I'm fighting this fire. I'm pouring water on it, and it's making it worse. My, uh, my laundry bo board, like, catches on fire. Like, I, I pick it up while it's on fire, and I throw it in the garage. Like, I'm fighting this thing because I'm a doer. My daughter is also a doer like me. She's running around the house trying to save our animals, you know, our pets, and running out of the house. My son is not a doer. He was just annoyed that he got woken up early in the morning. Um, my wife is a panicker, totally panics. So she came in, and the, everything's on fire, and she's like, what do I do? What do I do? And she's like, should I call the fire department? I'm like, yeah, you should probably call the fire department about now. And she's like, Brent, Brent, I don't know the number of the fire department. 
Like 911, Susie. Like 911 works. And so, not very helpful. But, you know, super. So we go have these different, you know, fight, flight, you know, responses, different things. And so Peter, if you guys know Peter, if you've read about Peter in the Gospels, in the Bible, you realize that he's a man that doesn't really think before he speaks. He kind of puts his foot in his mouth, you know. He kind of is very impulsive, which doesn't serve him very well. And so, but God's going to be able to use what Peter says and does to be able to teach them lessons. And so, this is what Peter says. Peter explained, Rabbi, it's wonderful us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what to say, (laughs) for they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and the voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son, listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. So Peter panics during the sight as Jesus is being transfigured, and he doesn't really know what to say, so he just blurts out, let's build a memorial. You know, he's trying to be helpful or kind of like trying to be like, look what I could do, Jesus. I've got great ideas. You know, it's almost like building statues or plaques or something, you know, that we would do today to remember important events. That's his idea. We don't know really his motivation, but he is kind of trying to prove something or make something or add to what God is doing. He's like, let's just build something, you know, Peter's a doer. And so Jesus didn't really say anything, but God from heaven kind of steps in, just like at Jesus' uh, baptism. God says from a voice in the cloud, he says, this is my dearly loved son, listen to him. So it's almost like God's saying, maybe to everybody, especially to Peter, just chill you know what, you don't have to do anything, stop trying to prove yourself, it's not about you, and he says, just listen, just listen, just listen to Jesus. So this kind of, as, as a way to reinforce this point, Moses and Elijah disappear, and you see only Jesus. You have these two incredible spiritual giants of men talking with Jesus, but they never rivaled who Jesus was. They were prophets, but Jesus was the actual revelation of God. And so you have only Jesus here who deserves all the glory, who deserves all the, detention, all the attention, and all of the work of the Old Testament prophets, and all of them were actually fulfilled in Jesus. And so we can see here that Jesus is enough. If we put it that simply, Jesus is enough. It's not like Jesus plus Moses and Elijah. It's not like Jesus plus, you know, what Peter wants to do for him. It's not any of that. It's just Jesus. And if we were to think about that, how does that apply today? Jesus is enough for us. It's not Jesus plus you being a good person. It's not Jesus plus you, whatever church you belong to. You know, it's not Jesus plus all the great ways you obey all of his commandments. It's not that. It is Jesus is enough for us. It's all about Jesus. And so what happens after an event like this? You know, what happens, what, do you, what would you do after this happened if you saw this, if you witnessed this? You'd probably want to, like, figure out what happened, <laughs> at first of all, but you'd also want to kind of, like, process it, right? And so it's almost like, have you guys ever gone to, like, a Christopher Nolan movie or something, and you're like, what just happened, you know? And you got in with a bunch of your friends, and you're talking about the scenes and the dialogue. You're trying to figure it out. You're processing it. This is what the disciples were in need of. And they started talking to each other, and then Jesus steps in, and they have this great conversation as they're going down the mountain. So it says, 
As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves. But they often asked each other what, they, what he meant by rising from the dead. And then they asked him, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet why do the scriptures say that son of man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? And so Jesus gave them some instructions, first of all, before he explained anything to them or answered their questions. He said, don't tell anybody about this. Like, and then he has a timeline. Don't tell anybody about this until I rise from the dead. So if you can meet Peter, James, John and be like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> like, the first thing they want to do is probably go down the mountain and at least tell the disciples, guess what we saw? But Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody about this. How hard would that be? Like, how really difficult would that be? And they can't tell anybody till Jesus rise from the dead? They didn't know, even know what that meant. And so here they are struggling with this, not able to tell anybody. Has anybody ever come to you and gave you super exciting news, but then at the end they're like, oh, but don't tell anybody. And you're like, wait, wait, I can't tell anybody? What? what? You know? And like, like someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm pregnant, but don't tell anybody for a couple months until I feel good about it and I can, you know, tell people myself. And you're like, no, why did you tell me in the first place? You know, so one of those things where it's really hard not to tell anybody. But back in chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus is introducing this idea already that he's the Messiah, but also that he would be killed and three days later he would rise from the dead. He had just given his disciples in the timeline of this, he told them this six days before this event happens. So he's trying to continue to remind him all of these things that are happening. This is just as mysterious to them as it was six days ago. So they're asking each other what it meant. They're trying to connect all the dots of what they've just seen. So they, 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 they know Jesus is the Messiah. He had just told them. They just figured it out. They had just seen Elijah. So now they're like, okay, they're asking Jesus like theological questions. You know, this is what the Jew, Jewish teachers are thinking or speculating about. So they're asking him, like, why is it important that Elijah come first before the Messiah and all these different questions? Jesus has, you know, he, he's, he's basically trying to help them and answer them. This idea comes from Malachi. It says, remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai, fall of Israel. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and their hearts of children to their fathers. So they know this verse, and they know the Jewish teachers are speculating that Elijah has to come before the Messiah. And I want you to notice how Jesus answers this question. He tells them, he answers what they're desiring to know, and he says that Elijah has come first to get everything ready. In this, in this same story in the book of Matthew, it goes on to say that Jesus goes on to say that this is John the Baptist, or at least alludes to that. Jesus says, but I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized. And they chose to abuse him, and in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Then the disciples realized he was talking about John the Baptist. So they, Jesus is patiently answering their questions, but then at the end, he kind of redirects their questions to talk about the things that are really important. He says, yes, this is what the religious leaders are saying, but he's like, I want you guys to actually realize what's really important here, what the scriptures are saying about him. 
what the, he's saying, what the scriptures are saying about me. And so he's continually pushing them in the right direction. And so if you read the last, go back to what he says at, here, at the end here. He says, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet, what do the scriptures say about the Son of Man who must suffer greatly and be treated with other contempt? He's like, yeah, that whole Elijah thing, right. But let's talk about what really is going to happen soon. That's going to have everything to do with who I am and how it affects you. And so six days before this, he's explaining it to them. He's saying he's going to suffer. He's saying that this is how I'm going to be treated. He was reminding this again and again. And he's like, hey, listen, guys, let's talk about what really matters. Let's get back to the point. Let's talk about who I am and what's going to about to happen to me. And so there are a lot of like, if you've been a Christian a long time, there's a lot of Christianese words that we use. There's a lot of theological, whole theological books you can read. There's a lot of things that you might want to learn more about, which is great. There's so many different like channels and podcasts and different things that religious experts talk about, you know, all these different things. And as Christians, we can kind of get lost in the weeds of all these theological things. And I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible is true. I believe what the Bible says is important. But honestly, there's some things that are more important in the Bible than others. And so we can get really kind of lost in the theological things and things that people teach or write or, or whatever. And a lot of those things out there, honestly, unfortunately, are kind of people's speculation that kind of supports their own worldview that may not even be what the Bible is teaching. And so, I mean, if you go back to this, the Jewish teachers were speculating on a ton of things. And they were wrong about Jesus, about, who, about him being the Messiah. And so, even if you go back to recent Christianity within the last, you know, less than 100 years, you can see how Christians and Christian leaders and teachers have gotten a lot of things wrong, <laughs> you know? People have actually used the Bible past to, like, justify slavery or justify racism or say how inter interracial marriages aren't okay, you know, all of these different things. And so misogyny, and I remember like when, when people would still say, oh, Christian men can't have long hair, you know, because I had long hair, <laughs> you know, and all of these different things, Christian men can't get tattoos. That's evil. That's devil worship, you know. I, and what do we have now? We have a lot of pastors who have long hair and tattoos of Bible verses on them, you know? And so all these things have changed. I remember, did any of you remember when rock music was all the devil? You know, you couldn't listen to rock music, and certainly Christian music can't be rock music. That's just bad, you know? And so you think about all these things that I think we've gotten wrong a lot, and unfortunately, we use the Bible to justify it. And so I just want to, I, I imagine this all the time. There's a lot of, I'm not talking about the truth, right? I'm talking about gray areas. There's a lot of these gray areas, and I'm wondering, like, in 20 years from now, what are we going to look back on and be like, why did we believe that 20 years ago? That was silly, you know? And so think about all of these different things. And I think we have to be careful who we listen to. And we may have to stop listening to some religious experts out there and be really careful about that. And so how much more does this apply to those who don't even believe in the Bible? You know, these political pundits, these cultural analysts, these trendsetters, these Instagram influencers, all these people that like have all these different worldviews and ideas about how we should live our lives. And then my favorite, least favorite, are the politicians and the celebrities who will quote the Bible just because they want people to vote for them or want people to like them. You know, that's ridiculous because if you look at their life, they're not living a Christian life. They're not living a life of what the Bible teaches. 
And so these are things that we have to be careful about. And I love what Jesus is doing here because he's drawing them back to the things that are the most important. He's putting the focus straight on Jesus, who he is and what that means to us. So the point is, we just need to listen to Jesus. We need to look how about, we need to hear the words that he said. We need to watch and read in the Gospels about how he lived his life. And that should set the agenda for our life. And so the Bible, the life of Jesus, shows how we can connect the dots between everything in the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible, connected to Jesus, and that's how we should live our life. And so that's the reality. That's the truth. And so the lesson here is that Jesus is not just a prophet of God, but Jesus is God. And Mark's gospel is trying to show us that truth, but also what that means. And so in Jesus, if we put the spotlight on the work, the words of Jesus, that's the truth, and that is really what is most important. So whenever someone turns to him, whenever someone really says, Jesus, yes, you are God, I want to follow you with my life, the Bible talks about how this veil is taken away. And when we ask forgiveness for our sins, it says that this weight is gone and that we feel this freedom for the very first time. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians Whoever, but whoever someone, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Spirit, for the Lord is spirit, and whenever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us have had that veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And so we, the good news is that we can see the glory of God like Peter, John, and James did that day. We may not physically see it and see this, you know, glowing thing, but you know what? We can recognize that Jesus has this glory about him, and we can see that. We can see his glory because when we start to believe in Jesus, we start to see everything that's true. We start to see what's true about him and what's true about us, what's true about this world. And once we see it, you can understand it and accept it and live by it. So when this veil is removed, he reveals himself to you. When you pursue God, he promises you that he's going to reveal, reveal himself to you. He's not going to hide. If you are just kind of shut the noises off of the world and you focus on him, it says that he's going to speak to you if we're willing to listen. And so all these promises of God is something powerful. But something even more powerful of that is that when, you, when Jesus reveals himself to you, you know what the cool thing is? is that we can reflect that glory to the rest of this world. We're not God, right? We're not the Messiah. We're not the Savior. But we can reflect the glory of Jesus to other people. That's awesome. That's powerful. And it says, because in the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. If we study and know and learn and read and discover the life of Jesus, and we start to pray that we can be more like Jesus, if we start to act more like Jesus, if we become more like Jesus, if we treat other people like Jesus did, we're reflecting that glory. And we're going to be a witness to the world. And that's an amazing thing. And that's exactly, what, that's exactly how it should work and what we should be doing. So his glory can be reflected through us just like a mirror. And so the way we love others, the way we love God, if we do it more like Jesus through our motives, through our thoughts, through our actions... We're going to be reflecting the glory of Jesus to this world. So the question is, is that you know, do you know 
that Jesus is God? Is this something that you believe? Is this something that you attach yourself to? Is this something that you have, have actually applied to your life? Are you struggling? Are you grappling with that? We want you guys to be able to ask good questions. We want, we, we want to be able to have these conversations with you. We'll have leaders up here after the service to be able to talk with you and be able to get in those conversations. We'll pray with you if that's something that you ask. We would love to do those things with you. But don't go home today struggling. Ask those questions because that's going to lead you to the glory of Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you are, in fact, Lord and God. We thank you that you cared enough about us not to stay and sit in heaven at a distance. But God, you chose to come and reveal yourself to us. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the fact that, that God, that, that your love drove you to the cross. God, that you are our ultimate sacrifice. And Lord, we thank you for that, God. We thank you that we can not only just know you, but God, we become more like you. Lord, that it would change us from the inside out. And that is our prayer today, God, that we would discover you and that you would change us and we can reflect your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.